Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. Welcome and today we go over the pond to England to talk to Lindsay Hall, who's the chief executive of a really interesting organization called Real Ideas. And Lindsay, welcome, and we're going to start with your education. Where did you go to school? Hi, Peter, um, and hello, everyone. Uh, so I went to school in London um, in, um, well, a variety of state schools, uh, including, so my secondary school was called Kibbrook Comprehensive, and it was... Um, uh, the school was made famous by Jamie Oliver, who went and did the school dinner thing there a long time after I'd left, but um, that that was it. So it was a really interesting school. It was in quite a tough part of London, um, and uh, but it was very innovative. So I got to do all sorts of really exciting things. Um, uh, well, playing with things like video, thinking about communication, using creativity in exciting ways, um, as well as all the stuff you'd expect. Okay, so let's talk about your work experience. Yeah, so what do you want me to do? Tell you about where I, how I got into what I do? Yeah, so start with way back when, when you started beginning to work at different places. Okay, so way back when. So um, I went to university and was very, uh, I did a degree in social policy. So at that time, I was, well, I still am, um, you know, politically active. So um, that was in the 1980s. And in uh, England at the time, Margaret Thatcher was the prime minister. Um, so she was a controversial figure. Uh, all of you who are old enough to remember that will remember that. And um, we had something called the miners' strike. So there was a huge um, a dispute, very long, very bitter dispute, uh, which the government waged with the trade unions around um, coal miners and um, closing pits, um, which was uh, yeah, hugely contentious. So I spent a lot of the 1980s demonstrating against Margaret Thatcher um, and therefore went to university um, really interested in, you know, what's going wrong with our society and how come that we end up with um, repeatedly with governments who are much more interested in the people who have than the people who have not um, and what are we going to do about it so that was my sort of educational experience and I did various bits of casual work and I was involved in something called student community action which was you know all about um, interesting community projects anyway came out of university in the mid-1980s and um had become very interested in the fact that there was all this interesting stuff going on. There was all this community action and activism, and yet nobody knew about it. Uh, so, um, you know, it was sort of invisible at the time. It was way under the radar. This is a long way before social enterprise was talked about. And so I started, I decided that what I was going to do was um, get trained to be able to make videos, films, um, about the sort of interesting projects that people were doing. So I managed to find some training. And then I had a friend who was paraplegic, so in a wheelchair. And so we made a film which was all about uh, access or the lack of access that he faced trying to get in to do things. Um, and at the time, Ken Livingston was the leader of the 
Greater London Authority. So we thought, right, well, we need a few famous faces in this video if we're actually going to get it to go anywhere. So we contacted him and various other famous people. Anyway, he was lovely. And he said, yeah, come and interview me. Let's talk about it. So my friend Ben and I turned up in County Hall, filmed an interview, Ben interviewing him about um, how they, what they were doing in terms of improving access for people with disabilities. Anyway, what happened then was that the, um, the film got a reasonable amount of distribution and it was used quite a lot. And so from that, you know, the way these things happen, that led into me making more things like that, getting involved in um, independent film and television and all sorts of projects which were about training people to use what at the time was new technology. Um, uh, yeah, then that led into forming a company, a video production company, making uh, videos which were training social workers and uh, people who were, you know, working in all sorts of interesting environments like that, children's homes, social care environments. Um, you know, on it went really. And um, so I suppose I just, yeah, I found my way from one interesting thing to another and managed to make a living out of it. Uh, got to a point um, in the early 2000s where the company was growing, but to be honest, I was getting less interested in it because um, I was sort of at that point where in order to sustain the company, you know, I needed to take on work that wasn't as interesting. And then a job advert popped up, which said, are you an alchemist? That was a bit um, irresistible. So I wasn't really looking for a job, but I opened the job advert anyway. And um, it was for something called Creative Partnerships, which was um, uh, new labor. So by this time, Tony Blair had become our prime minister. So after years and years of conservative rule, we finally had you know, a left-wing prime minister who was, who at that point was doing lots of really exciting things. One of the things he did, or the government did, was to ask the question why it was that we had fantastic creative industries in the UK at the time, but our education system had completely forgotten about creativity. So they found um, 25 million somewhere down a ministerial sofa, gave it to the Arts Council of England and said, well, can you run a program in 16 areas of the country, 16 disadvantaged areas of the country? Um, and that was job was given to fantastic maverick who said okay what i'm going to do is basically appoint 16 other mavericks to go to these different parts of the country and get on with doing some stuff that that really tries to bring back creativity into education anyway one of the places where this was was uh, cornwall which is in the far southwest of the uk my partner and i had very young children at the time we were sort of thinking actually yeah we'd quite like to go and live somewhere different so anyway i applied for the job didn't really think I'd get it. Um, blow me, I got offered the job. So we then, you know, massive upheaval moved from one side of the country to the other. Um, and I was given this job, which basically gave me a mobile phone and a million pounds and said, get on with it, which was just wonderful. Um, and obviously I'd had a history of entrepreneurialism. So I got on with it. Um, and um, we did some, yeah, really interesting projects which were, you know, all about innovation and doing things differently in terms of um, connecting the creative industries in Cornwall with education and schools. Of course, what it ended up doing was um, meaning that there was a huge burgeoning of creativity as well and the creative industries. So that was very cool. Anyway, 
I then made friends with somebody else who was leading one of the other schemes in Bristol. That was the next nearest one. Um, we started working together quite a bit. Uh, and probably about three years in, I was sort of seeing that, um, you know, it's highly, these things are highly political. So I started to say, mm, I think we need to become independent if we want to keep doing what we're doing, which was really about change through creativity. And uh, so, you know, at the, at the beginning, everybody said, you're mad, you know, that'll never happen. You know, um, of course, you know, like most things, if you keep saying them, at some point, somebody turns around and says, oh, I hear you're setting up a new company and you're taking creative partnerships into an independent organization. Yes, I said, thinking, oh, well, here we are. And of course, at that point, it, you know, it becomes real. So in the end, what we did was to effectively spin out, took the um, last three years of the creative partnerships contract with us um, and set up real ideas. So that was back in 2007, eight. Um, I'd been really lucky in 2006 that had managed to secure a fellowship to go and spend, actually to spend some time in the States and in Canada, um, which was where I visited fantastic organizations in New York, San Francisco, Toronto, Vancouver, um, quite a few of which were social enterprises um, because social enterprises, you know, you, you got there first, you got there before us. So I remember emailing my colleague, uh, Matt, and saying, that's it. I know what we're going to be. We're going to be a social enterprise. This is the right balance between independent entrepreneurialism and social purpose this is what we need to be and actually it did coincide with new legislation which arrived in the uk in actually in the beginning of 2007 which created a company form so in the way that you have a company form which allows for social enterprises so do we in the uk um, so we became one of the first community interest companies they're called um, and off we went uh, and essentially where that got us to was continuing to be very interested in the relationship between creativity and change. We then pretty quickly also got asked to be involved with um, schemes to work with unemployed um, young people. Um, so we sort of applied the same philosophy in that, that context. Um, and then we also... Um, uh, were asked about a derelict heritage building and you know could we do something about that so that those three things have continued in lots of ways to be um what we do um which are all around you know how do we support people and communities to come up with good ideas and then how do we help them to actually put them into practice to make change happen and so what happened was over the last 15 years, we've grown from a team of half a dozen to a team of, well, not far off a hundred when you include, you know, um, people who are, who are freelancing with us. So yeah, it's been quite a, it's been a journey, but a fantastic journey. Yeah, from your website, you're doing a wide variety of things. And some of them are operating in silos. They're not necessarily connected or on the surface, it doesn't appear they're connected. Yeah, and I think that's because we are very used to um, looking at businesses through the lens of sectors. So we expect people to work in, a, in the cultural sector, in the marine sector, in the food sector. We have always taken the opposite approach and said, how you enable 
communities and individuals to move from really difficult circumstances to being in charge of their futures in positive ways. How do you regenerate communities? Actually isn't a sectoral thing. It's about being able to work with the community in a variety of ways and those coming together to create the levels of transformation that you need because we're, I mean, like many of us, we're interested in those really entrenched issues. So the problem is if you work with children in a school that is struggling and the children are struggling and they're struggling with, um, you know, very dysfunctional families and disadvantage and all of those sorts of things, you might be able to do a really good job in terms of individual children, individual families, even an individual school. But as soon as they move from that school on or they connect back, you know, into the difficult circumstances their families are dealing with, pretty much all of it disintegrates again. So our view has always been that you need to think about much more holistic approaches, which is why, yes, I get it looks a bit unconnected, but actually it's not. There's a very solid thread that goes all the way through. Okay, Lindsay, talk about funding, how you source what you're doing, and the importance of partnerships, because they kind of work together. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've always said that, I, in fact, I don't think there is pretty much anything that we do that we don't do in partnership with other people. Um, and again, that's fundamentally because one organization on their own can't really make significant change happen, in my experience. Um, so if we're, so at the moment, I'm sat in our building in Devonport, which is a very poor community in the city of Plymouth in southwest England. And um, Devonport is, so in the UK, we have something called the indices of multiple deprivation. So that's basically a way of measuring poverty in communities. This community is in the bottom 10% of communities. That means it has a whole set of really endemic problems, problems around poverty, problems around um, uh, economic inactivity, alcoholism, drug taking, you know, all the rest of it. Um, and uh, so actually the building I'm in is the second building we have developed in this community. The first one we started at the beginning of our history. And we knew that when we got involved in that building, um, that if we were going to make any difference, we were committing to doing it for 20, 30 years. And I remember when I first got in a taxi to go to see our other building, you know, before we'd done anything with it, and the taxi driver said to me, you don't want to go there, you really don't want to go there, you know, that's really rough. And I went, no, I do. And he said, okay, well, I tell you what, I'll wait for you because I'm really worried about you. Um, you know, that was where things were at that point. Where we are now, 15 years on, and it's not like that anymore. And um, so, you know, there's been a lot of change in terms of housing. There's been a lot of change in terms of levels of crime have radically reduced. Um, the building we've now developed is a creative technology center. So we're bringing work and jobs into the community, um, still working with people we were working with before, but also bringing in wealth and opportunity from other places, largely coming from working with partners. So we're working with the universities, we're working with the colleges, we're working with big multinational companies that are all around us that are involved in the marine sector or um, you know, manufacturing or defense or all the other big industries that exist here. Where, where do you get the money for all this? So where do we get the money from? So two things. 
we provide uh, public facing activities that people pay for. So we do run cafes, we do run events. We here have an immersive dome, which people come and see screenings a bit like cinema. So we earn quite a lot of money in that way. We also earn money um, from doing consultancy and from people paying us. And we earn money from people who want to do what we've done in other places. So they will buy services from us. So there's a whole raft of things where we sell stuff. We also deliver public sector contracts. So in the UK, um, there are programs which are all about getting people, unemployed people into work. Um, we win contracts to do that. Um, so again, it's a traded service, but we are winning a contract to do that with the public sector. And then there are a few things we do where we source grants um, where people are investing, mainly investing in innovation. So we work with um, people like the Arts Council of England who are interested in investing in different programs of, of cultural activity. Um, we work with somebody called the Rank Foundation. So people, you remember the films with the big gong? Well, the company, the, the company has then ended up with a foundation that invests in places. So we end up with a very mixed economy in terms of our income streams. Um, and, you know, in that way, we are a true social enterprise because we are absolutely wanting to make profit. We're interested in that. But how we spend our profit is obviously way back into, you know, actually providing um, positive impact in, in the places we work. So let's have some fun. Visioning. Mm -hmm. Where do you see your organization three years from today? Okay, so I think there are a number of things in that. Um, the building I'm sat in, we opened in July. Um, that is an immersive technology center. It's the first of its kind in Europe. Um, so there is a whole bunch of work that we are doing, which is around really creating people, connecting people who are not, um, don't have access to future technologies, future work, future jobs. I was at something recently where somebody said to me, 85% of the jobs that people will be doing in 2030 are not yet invented. Um, so we are really committed to making sure that the people who have those jobs are not just the usual suspects, that the people who are growing up in the, in the community I'm sat in now, they also understand that they're possible. They do the things that are needed to make sure that they're part of it. So there's partly that. Um, and so in terms of this area, this locality, you know, we want things to have moved on another step. We want more startups in this industry. We want better, you know, talent retention. So there's a bunch of stuff which is local. Um, we are also really interested in how the, um, I suppose, ways of working that we've developed, which do work, can um, inform and work for other people in other places. So particularly after the pandemic, we've all got much better at using this technology in interesting ways. So we already are working with um, different organizations and local authorities across the UK, but it would be really interesting to do that a bit more globally. We have done a little bit of it in the past, but it feels like it's much more possible now. So how can other people take some of what we've learned and actually you know, because I am running a social enterprise, buy into some of the platforms and the technology that we've developed to enable this to happen so that their journey can be quicker in order to 
um, you know, work in their communities and make change happen. So I think in three years' time, we will uh, have moved forward this community and all the work we're doing with, with creative technology will be buzzing. And I also think that we will have a platform which is supporting far more people, definitely across the UK and hopefully beginning to be globally too. So it sounds to me like you're going to do social franchising. Potentially. As I mean, I think that's definitely something there. to regular franchising. Yeah. Social it, franchising. Yes. I think it's social franchising, but it is also using... So I'm really interested in the role that tech platforms could play in relation to social franchising. Because I think at the moment, you know, we can see how successful big tech platforms have been in... Um, in the commercial world, not yet seeing much in terms of them being used in a in a you know a more social purpose social enterprise context. Well, we've used uh, Wova and Hopin. Mm -hmm. Those are yep. two of the platforms we've used. Yep. Yeah, so, yeah, and they're great. I mean, yeah, I've I've been to quite a lot of events and things like that. But I suppose I'm just thinking about some of the ways that you build a community using tech platforms, but tech for good platforms, not some of the ones we have at the moment. Absolutely. So having said this, Lindsay, what is your website? Can you spell that out for our listeners? So our website is uh, www.realideas.org. Um, so yeah, have a look and um, yeah, enjoy. Uh, there's lots of stuff on it and you can easily find me on it and you can easily contact me if you want to have a, a more detailed chat. Thank you. You've got a great organization. And I'm going to end the recording now, so thank you. Thank you very much.